All right, hello everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Geek Garage Podcast, the most inclusive and accessible nerd culture audio program on the interwebs. I'm your host, David, and joined with me uh, this week is the wonderful, beautiful, amazing, incredible, sexy, sultry, handsome Mr. Zach Rancourt. How are you doing, Zach? Do you know that you, anytime you talk about another male, you always say they're beautiful? You should you should censor yourself because I don't like it. <laughs> You're beautiful. <laughs> it's true. Uh, hi, David. How's it going? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, good, good. Yeah. Good to hear. Happy Friday. Yes, it is. It is Friday. It's the week before Valentine's Day. Um, Ooh. And uh, yeah, we're here to do uh, some uh, an episode that is actually kind of on topic with the holiday. Uh, it's not very often that I kind of catch a holiday in time to do a holiday specific episode. So I mean a Hallmark holiday uh, on a Valentine's Day. Do you remember that Lincoln Park song? That was our worst, uh, oh. one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, um, yeah the the Minutes to Midnight album mm-hmm. was that was that what it was on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like certain tracks off that album were like absolute bangers and then others were like oh i can see the the decline of lincoln park from like the new metal into like something totally different Um, yeah that was a that was a toughy album to listen to i wasn't super happy with it yeah it it is all right but uh you know we're we're actually not here to talk about lincoln park although that would be a a fun interesting episode that would be fun yeah, so whenever we first started talking about this episode, I think it was just like, yeah, we're going to talk about My Bloody Valentine, the remake from 2009. And then it just kind of evolved and snowballed into not necessarily something different, but like, let's talk about that movie and then a bunch of other like unconventional love and romance films. Um Obviously, the horror genre has a lot to offer in terms of unconventional love and romance movies, but uh, there's quite a few others. And we polled uh, in the the Facebook group. I know you responded with one, which was excellent, and we will get to that. Uh, I think I set that up as our last question. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, we got that. Um, and yeah, like I said, we're still going to talk about My Bloody Valentine. Um, we will end up talking a little bit about the original as well, but not too much because I know you, you said you've seen parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like just random parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just the parts you've seen, it's already, I don't know how much of it, but it's already, I can tell you a better movie than the 2009 remake. Oh yeah. I can, I can imagine (laughs) like it's, you know, the, the, I think it came out in 81, the original. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's clunky. It's It suffers from like the, the a similar type of feel that the original Friday the 13th movie feels where it's like kind of awkward in places. Like the actors are a little awkward, like kind of seems like they're first time actors and the dialogue's a little weird and clunky. But for the most part, like it's it's got some cool, like it's all practical effects. Like I don't think really much of it was like cg or anything mm-hmm. um and uh, the storyline was actually much better like it made a lot more sense and i it was much more believable than right <clears throat> the uh the remake um so uh so yeah um 
let's see. So I guess with our starting with our first question, um, it has been a frequent topic of ours, the importance of seeing a movie in theaters for a multitude of reasons. Um, I personally have never been a huge fan of 3D, although I do enjoy other formats like IMAX and ScreenX. Um, and when this movie came out, in 2009 i remember like the fact that it was 3d was a huge selling point like a marketing gimmick and it it was pretty successful like i remember the theater being packed and uh but unfortunately like i think this the the remake suffers quite a bit in Mm -hmm. terms of the 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 uh, effects um, and how they look once you remove the whole 3D effect thing. So I wanted to discuss this off the bat. Like, did you feel the same way? Like, did it take away from the movie? Like, I guess, first of all, did you get have a chance to see this movie in theaters in 3D? Do you remember? I did not. I remember okay. getting this on Netflix DVD um, a long time ago when, when Netflix wasn't canceling passwords or canceling password sharing and they strictly had just DVD sharing. Right. So that's how I watched it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that probably would have been back when there, uh, there was no 3d TVs yet. And I think there might have been, or it was on the cusp of it, but yeah. Yeah. Cause it was 2009 when this came out and I think it was around that time. It was like 2010, 2011 is probably when they had the 3D TVs for like a year and then they just shit the bed. So, yeah, uh, like, I, I, do you know what happened with that? Like, quick sidebar. Uh, I, I, like, it, it just seemed like they dropped off. Like, they were a, a big thing for a minute and then, like, you just didn't see them anymore. I don't know. Uh, th- I was never sold on them. I, I, I thought that they were so weird. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. It's, it sounds like as of 2017, no 3D TVs are, are being made anymore. Most people stopped making them in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, Avatar was pretty much the only thing that that really kind of changed the game. And because of that success, all these TV makers made 3D TVs. So they just became really expensive. And also, who wants to put on glasses when you have to watch a damn movie? Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. Like, I wear glasses. And so when I put on my glasses. I don't want to have to put contacts in to, to have to watch it. And so right. it's, it's just interesting, but I, I, I don't know. I would be, it sounds like it was, yeah, they introduced it around 2010. Um, and there was just a bunch of extra cost. It was too dim. Um, retail sales were terrible. I'm just reading up on it right now. I don't know. No 4k. That's a bummer. Cause I love 4k. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I have a hard time when I buy digital copies of things or when I buy, you know, digital movies. If it's not in in UHD, I'm like, no, no, not going to work here anymore. So (laughs) (laughs) not going to not going to not going to work here anymore. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, I I totally get that. The like older movies, they will get a pass. Like if it's, you know, some horror movie that I'm looking to rent or you know, if it's like six bucks to buy, like I'll Mm -hmm. buy it. And if it's something from like the seventies or eighties and it's not in, you know, ultra high def or 4k, like I'm like, I get it. You know, it it was filmed on, you know, a 35 millimeter camera. Uh, Um, you know, it's whatever. Um, okay, well, cool. So since you didn't have a chance to see this in theaters, um, in 3d, 
did you uh, what did you think of the um the 3d or i guess quote unquote 3d effects like that were tuned down to to a, a, a 2d effect like did uh did you feel that they were maybe a little weird or clunky choppy like w- w- what did you think of them so i 3d 3d is just it's not my favorite thing man i'll just put it out there um i i saw avatar in 3d and that's probably the only movie i actually saw in theaters 3d um it's just very distracting to look at. So like in my bloody Valentine, everything was just so distracting and they purposely would point things at the camera because you know that that was meant to ham it up for the 3d, right? The movie itself, I don't know how it was filmed or what kind of lens they, they used, but it looks so low budget. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's why, or if they had to use that to get the 3d, um, capability or that's the best that they could use. But the same thing with, uh, there was a final destination that was also in 3d and that was, there was also a saw that was in 3d, like all around that time. Right. And so all, if you go back and look at them, the film stock looks terrible in my opinion. It's, it's, it feels very B movie, almost kind of like a cheap video game or, or like a soap opera with motion smoothing. And I was not into it. It was actually incredibly distracting because it just felt like it felt like an independent film, which I love independent movies, but it was like a really shitty B movie. Yeah. Uh, So I don't know. It was, it was dry. It was driving me crazy because anytime, you know, the pickaxe would come, it would like point right at the the camera and I get what they're trying to do. But when you don't have the 3d effect, you're just staring at a pickaxe right in the middle of the screen or right. You know, they purposely do things like an eyeball popping out and, it's so freaking stupid. <laughs> it was yeah, so like, dumb. Like the the kills were still pretty cool. Like the eyeball popping. Like the, I mean, that was you know it took you off guard. Like it was a very uh, quick kill. Like into the movie. Like you know it, it was you know within the first ten minutes I think. Um, and then the the one that was super gnarly was the old like sheriff or deputy whatever that oh, yeah. uh, where he got the pickaxe <laughs> underneath his jaw and like ripped his jaw off like i totally forgot about that and i was like whoa <laughs> like that was nuts so like like the kills were still you know fun to watch and um and interesting and all that uh but yeah i totally get what you're saying like it seems like with the when they had to go from 3d to 2d like they just lost like a lot of um a lot of the the smoothness uh, mm-hmm. uh, of the the movie and and it just kind of ended up looking weird like you know if you converted something from film to digital and didn't do a very good job at it or yeah. something like that I, I don't know something akin to to that so and then my other question uh, which kind of already got answered was um if 3D has uh, ever been a successful marketing tool for you um as in like you know, this came out in 3D and and you like you must see it in 3D. And so that's pretty much Avatar for you. Yeah. So Avatar, you know, Avatar was a thing because it was an event. You have to see Avatar. You got to see James Cameron movies. He has carte blanche to do whatever. However, I haven't seen the sequel most mostly because I don't want to sit in a theater for three hours. <laughs> um, I honestly would just rather wait. I do love IMAX though. I am a sucker for IMAX. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, give me more, all of it. I'll always take. 
you know, IMAX. I, I want to do a 40X showing of something. I've never done that where they have like the seats that vibrate and stuff. Yeah, that's one I've yet to do. I have done Screen X though, which is awesome. Have you done oh, Screen X? I haven't done Screen X, but I wonder if it's like Dolby, um, like Dolby Vision or something like that. There's there's one that's particular to, uh, I think, Regal, no, not Regal, AMC Cinemas. That's it's like Dolby Vision or something, and the sound is unreal. It's cool. I saw I saw Scream Five or just Scream as the kids call it mm-hmm. um, in that, and it was actually that helped the movie quite a bit. I also saw the Batman in that, and I think if I'm not seeing an IMAX, then I'm going to do that because the sound is just unreal. Yeah. Uh, did you say it used Dolby Atmos? Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's um, what it was. Yeah. Um, uh, it, just a, a quick side note. Um, it's I have to smile every time I hear Dolby Atmos because with my last job, um, I was still a software developer, but I was working for this company called Naxos, which is a, a label for classical music. And uh, at the ass end of my tenure there, they were trying to start working in uh, uh, Dolby Atmos files. And it was a bitch to <laughs> to compress because they were the largest. Oh, fucking, yeah. Like we're, we're talking like 10 gigs for one song. Oh, like wow. it was is ridiculous. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so uh, the um, the screen X is is the one that's um, exclusive to regal as far as i know and it's where the screen it's not for the whole movie but for like action sequences and stuff it starts to project on Mm -hmm. the the uh the two sides of the the wall on either side of you Mm. so you're getting it's kind of the same concept uh of imax as like filling your peripheral vision but we're talking like ultra wide screen where you can like it it fills up your entire vision wow Um, it's it's pretty cool. Like if you have a chance to go see a movie in it, like I, even if you have to travel a little bit, um, I'm not yeah. talking like hours, but dude, yeah. th- I saw so one of my favorite movies I've ever seen in IMAX, other than The Dark Knight, it was just because that's like one of my favorites of all time, mm-hmm. was Top Gun Maverick. I saw it in yeah. IMAX and I was a hog and shit, man. <laughs> I was so happy. I I couldn't believe it because those action scenes, like I call, I call it the Death Star trench run when mm-hmm. he's like he's like put put him in 30 on the clock or whatever. And he does the the whole exercise when everyone says it can't be done in that time. Yeah. I'm just like gripping my chair and like sweating. And <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God, please make it. And they, that whole scene was, was shot in IMAX and it was so incredibly visceral and the sound and everything. I watched it again on my really nice T te- well, not really nice, but my nice TV and good sound system. And it, it hit, but it didn't hit as hard as that IMAX time. And, and I think it was, that was one of my favorite movies last year, just because of moments like that, that I was, you know, just breathing heavy and it was incredible. So I, I love yeah. IMAX. I'll have to check out Screen X. Um, another movie I was going to say for 3D that I actually really enjoy Friday the 13th Part 3. It's actually <laughs> in 3D and we're talking the blue and red glasses that you wear. Yeah, yeah. So I had some and I, I that's one. It's actually one of my favorite Friday the 13th. Um, so yeah, I'd watch that and there's parts just like that. There's parts in that just like, uh, my bloody Valentine where Jason has like a spear and he sticks it forward and it points right at the camera Mm -hmm. or, you know, a guy finds an eyeball and he holds it right to the camera and you're just supposed to be like, Oh, you know, (laughs) Oh, scary. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I love those movies so much. 
Jason, aside from Pennywise, he's he's my favorite just because like the whole franchise is ridiculous and not really supposed to take it seriously. So mm-hmm. I don't know, he's just he's a fun villain. So he is the when but like kind of sorry to jump around a little bit, but oh, going yeah, going good. back to kind of what you're seeing about the the 3D to 2D conversion things like you know pickaxes going right at the camera or or that horrible cg bullet at the end when it's like oh, you yeah. got one shot one opportunity don't miss your chance to blow and she misses <laughs> a bit okay. so so stupid um but anyways it's just it's so it drives me crazy cuz it's unnatural and the the emphasis is unnatural and it just feels so pandering and distracting to an audience it felt like too much form over function for my buddy Valentine. Like it was all about form. It felt like all they wanted to do was kills and there was no story. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, I'm not, I'm not a 3d fan at all. Uh, Avatar was my one and only, um, I won't go do it again. I might've seen star Wars in 3d. Like no, and it wasn't star Wars. I might've seen something in 3d and, it's kind of cool when you're like, oh, you want to grab the spaceship. But otherwise, it's so stupid. Yeah. I refuse, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's one of those things. It's, you know, I'm I'm glad the trend is is dying off. Like, you know, it, it was a huge thing for for a long time in like the, the mid 2000s for like, I'd say like, I don't know, seven or eight years. Like it, it was really big. Like you'd see when, a, you know, a big blockbuster came out. There was like times, a bunch of times for 3D and a bunch of times for 2D and stuff. And I would, I was never interested in going to see some in 3D unless like <laughs> the time that I, uh, I was able to go to the movies was only like the 3D showing. So yeah, that would, that'd be like the only exception I'd make. Yeah. But for the most part, it wasn't really a big selling point for me. So like, the bread and butter of the horror genre is like the ability to create sequels and trilogies and, and longstanding franchises. So it kind of makes sense. Like they, they even set up like both of these movies to be uh, uh, to like with cliffhangers. So they could, you know, do another one and another one. And mm-hmm. like, you know, it was like 30 plus years uh, in between, you know, the original and the remake. And then we haven't gotten a remake. So, um, I don't know. I was I was curious what you thought. Uh, if <laughs> if it's just like this movie was just so bad that they're like, yeah, like all potential, you know, uh, sequels are you know being shelved, or if it maybe some other underlying issue. Yeah, I I, I I'm not quite sure. Um, I can't really think of a reason why because we have like ten saw films and people will still go see them because you got to give people what they want. And no matter what, you're going to find an audience for my bloody Valentine two and three and four, you know, um, people like shit movies at times. I know that sounds pretentious of me, but at the <laughs> same time it is accurate. Yeah. Excuse me. I, I like shitty movies, but only when I know it's a shitty movie and I go into it watching something like hard ticket to Hawaii or <laughs> samurai cop or, you know, cause I'm like, I have a drinking game out of it, right? It's like every time you see boobs or every time you see someone scream or overact, like you got to drink, which you get drunk really quick. So movies like that are really fun when they ham it up. But 
I feel like they were trying to take this pretty serious and be intentional with it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it is a missed opportunity because they did set it up with uh, with Soldier Boy escaping at the end. Um, right. But I don't know. Yeah, maybe they couldn't get the studio buy in. Uh, maybe they realized it was it was just straight ass. But yeah, I'm not yeah. opposed to a sequel, but you got to make it darker, less campy and you just kind of flesh out the characters more, man, because that was my biggest gripe was the movie didn't set up the characters enough for me to care. Like mm-hmm. it, it just it felt like I turned on this movie halfway through just randomly. And and I'm like, OK, what the fuck is going on? Right. I had no clue why this crazy, bald, tall guy is murdering an entire hospital. And right. I was and, and how he was able to do it so quickly and so quietly. He even had time to do those damn finger paintings on the wall and, and put hearts in boxes before anyone <laughs> even noticed or called the police. I think that is bullshit. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think their best bet, like if they theoretically wanted to do a uh, another one uh, would be going like the the requel route like a, a, i could a, see that yeah like kind of a, a mix between the the reboot and sequel thing like where it's kind of like i mean i'm not going to mansplain a fucking requel um <laughs> but uh yeah like I, I feel like that would be their best bet would to like not totally dismiss the original idea of the the original and then the the remake but kind of just build on top of that and do something different mm-hmm. um probably probably best to like ditch all the names because there's like a lot of name repetition that they they did um carrying over from the first film and like that kind of stuff you know doesn't doesn't bother me um but like if they do that and then it just falls flat i'm like all right we gotta we gotta do something different if you want to do a another one of these so yeah, I'm I, I'm not sure. And, and you're right. If they could bring some of the characters from it, some of the legacy characters, Jamie King or Jensen Ackles or something, mm-hmm. you kind of have to have him. Um, I really didn't like the twist. I thought it was so stupid and so unearned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it would be interesting to see what might happen um, in it. And yeah, sure, I'd be interested. They, they left it in a way that could be could be fun. I mean, I I just despised scream five but i'm still very excited to see scream six because <laughs> i'm a scream fan yeah you didn't uh, what didn't you like about it i thought it was oh great. don't even get me started on scream five it was so bad in my opinion uh a lot of the dialogue was terrible um i don't like when i don't well so they shouldn't have had any of the legacy characters in i thought that that was really stupid dewey's death was very sad um mm-hmm. and i thought it, it was good however you're going to tell me this like 110 pound girl is able to lift him up and survive these shots and do all this. Like, get out of here. I understand you have to suspend disbelief a bit, but scream at the heart has always been teenagers and Ghostface himself has always been vulnerable to things like tripping and kicking. And it, it feels believable because he's mm-hmm. clumsy. He's wearing a mask. He's, he's, he's a high school kid or, you know, she's a high school kid. And for them to just do the exact same plot, even in the same goddamn house like that that was so stupid to me that felt like um that felt like uh oh my god the star wars movie the first one i'm drawing a blank um a new hope no 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 no. ray oh um the Force Awakens. Uh, the Force it, Awakens. It, it, it's very much a member berries thing, and it drove mm. me bananas. Courtney Cox should not have been in it. Nev Campbell should not have been in it. It should have been all these new cast members, and then you figure it out from there. Um, 
it was it was dumb. I, I I did not like it. There are moments I liked. I really liked the sisters. So Jenna Ortega and the, the other gal, I thought they were great. Yeah. I mm-hmm. liked the twins a lot. Um, I didn't like that they had to tie everything together to be like, oh, this is this is this son and this daughter and blah, blah, blah. And we're the kids and we're related to the killers. It was just it was kind of ridiculous. Um, yeah, I don't want to go too much into it because I can <laughs> no, keep it's going. All good. But ultimately, you know, I'm glad I saw it because it enhanced when I saw it in that Atmos vision or whatever. Yeah, um, it did enhance it. However, at the end, I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, this is <laughs> so bad. The new one looks awesome because they're actually going to New York. So I'm yeah, I'm pumped about that. Yeah, it's Ghostface takes Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And I am I am all for that. Like, it's, like it's get it out of Woods, so good. Woodsbury or Wood, Woodsboro. Wood, Dingleberry, Dinglehopper. <laughs> Woodsboro. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah, get get out of there. Um and uh yeah, get a new new fresh setting instead of this fucking tired ass setting that we've seen for like five goddamn movies. And I they thought, need they need to kill Courtney Cox. You have to kill legacy characters. You have to be yeah. willing to take chances like that. Yeah, it's it's time for it's time for her to to eat it. Um the one that <laughs> I really didn't like was four. Like I thought that was lazy as fuck. Um I enjoyed four actually. See I I don't maybe I need to rewatch it because like a lot of people say like you know, it, not necessarily it's their favorite, but like that it's, you know, decent or good. And I'm just like, maybe I was just fatigued because I, I didn't really watch these movies like growing up or mm-hmm. at like, um, when, you know, when they came out. Um, and honestly, I'm not even really a huge scream fan to begin with. Like just because it's like Ghostface is, uh, grounded in reality. And I'm more about like the, you know, the, the killers that have some sort of otherworldly element to it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, for the most part, you know, I, I still, I, I respect the shit out of the franchise. Just, oh, absolutely. Um, and wasn't one of them, uh, surrounding Valentine's day or like around Valentine's day. I, I feel like one of them was maybe four or five. Mm, can't remember. I don't think so. Maybe, um, I'm dreaming things. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking of my bloody Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, so uh, let's go into a interesting question. Let's talk about boobs. boobs. Show us your boobs. Oh, um, so my bloody Valentine takes nudity to a whole new level. Um, uh, and, you know, we're all talk. Uh, we all know about the scene I'm talking about. Um, where uh, Irene, the character played by Betsy Rue, was running around the motel for like five solid minutes uh, with not a uh, lick of clothes on except for, I think, her heels or whatever shoes yeah. she, she, she was wearing. Um, I was curious what you thought about this, um, like this scene in particular, and... Was uh, the nudity a distraction at all, or if you kind of got acclimated to it? Because, um, it was this is probably like the longest like full frontal scene, uh, I, I've I've ever seen, um, especially in a horror movie, uh, 
And I thought it was interesting because like initially this scene was supposed to happen, but she was supposed to cover herself up Mm -hmm. and, and then go run after him. But she made a decision to just say, fuck it. She was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm already full frontal. I'm, I'm going to go for it. So it was actually her decision to do this whole scene, like where she goes after him. And then all of a sudden she's getting chased by the dude. Um, and uh, so I thought it was, it was very interesting that it was her decision, but I wanted to get your opinion on on this scene, like what you thought of it, if you thought it was distracting, if you thought it was a little over the top or unnecessary. Um, so, yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it was distracting, honestly. Um, yeah. I think I was just kind of like in my mind saying, why the hell is she just butt naked? I know that they just had sex, but... You know, there's a robe right there. There's a blanket. Uh, more power to her for for owning it. I mean, Betsy Rue, hell yeah! If, if you can if you can flaunt it, then then do it, girl. Mm-hmm. And she did a great job with it. Um, I liked the imagery of her just naked with a gun. However, it sucks the gun didn't have any bullets in it, so she just <laughs> decided to throw it. But like, yeah, it, you know, I still knew she was naked the entire time. And especially when she goes into the the office um, or not. Yeah, whatever the office was. And she's underneath the bed and uh, uses the wire bed to kind of avoid the pickaxe. I mean, I would be pressing that bed so hard and I would try to trap that person and run. Also, mm-hmm. hiding under the bed is is a terrible trope. Like, <laughs> who does that? Um, but it, it is what it is. So it was it was a little distracting at times, um, but. I, I I I guess I can see where you're coming from, where you kind of stop noticing because it just becomes it's just it's just a naked body. Who cares? Man? Sure, we were all born naked. Yeah, but. for sure. No, I I totally get the uh, the whole being distracted thing. Like it, it, you know, it's it's like we don't really get full frontal a lot, and especially that extended of a scene where you know they're just running around. Um, mm-hmm. But that aside, like, I do think that was a really well uh, choreographed scene, like all things considered, like from her coming out, like just super empowered with that gun. Like Mm -hmm. you said, I mean, it sucks that it was out of bullets, but, you know, she she throws the gun last resort. He's like, you know, all right, well, that was a nice throw. Fuck you anyways. Mm -hmm. And he opens the door and here comes the the pick pickaxe right into his forehead. Um, and she's like, holy shit. And then that's when the camera gets dropped and, uh, it films, you know, him like chasing after her and she runs away and into the, uh, the hotel lobby or back office. Like the Mm -hmm. whole sequence was really cool. It's just, you know, it was done nude. Uh, so I also want to say I was, you know, I'm all about representation in this movie, but to introduce a little person as the hotel manager only to have her just die quickly, it seems so cheap and unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least give her a bigger and kind of more important role or or more speaking lines or whatever. It just was a really odd choice to kill her off that quick. Um I I, yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of that, man. Yeah. Um I I I kind of thought of uh, of something similar too. I was like like, did she really have to die like that quickly? Like she could have been like a, played like a small heroic part. Like yeah. where like she, she Stabbed saw him some, or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and like maybe called the cops or like saw it from another room and like called the police mm-hmm. or something. And she was able to get away and, uh, something like that. But, um, yeah, I, <clears throat> yeah, that was, 
you know, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, I was also uh, just taking a step back and uh, looking at nudity, you know, in, in a more general sense. What's, uh, what are your thoughts on nudity in horror films just in general? Uh, why do you uh, why do you think they go together so well? Or if you think they go together well, because um, as Tarantino puts it, it's like Reese's. It's peanut butter and it's chocolate. <laughs> it's the perfect combination. Oh, um, Tarantino. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty undeniable like that, that horror and nudity, like they kind of go hand in hand. Like you get nudity in other movies, but like it's just there's something about the combination of the genre and the, 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 the filming contents of, you know, naked or sex scenes on the screen. There's just something about it. That's like, this is kind of fun. <laughs> right. I do think that nudity and horror, it's, it's one of those unwritten rules. Like, you know, Kevin Williamson calls out in the scream, uh, or, you know, it's like if you show boobs, you're going to get killed or you have sex, you're going to get killed. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the brilliance of Scream is they everyone's it, a suspect. It, exactly. It's super meta. And do you know, I, I'm pretty positive. There's like no nudity in any Scream movie. Yeah, I, I, I'm I don't pretty sure. Is. Yeah. Which which I think in itself is a play on it where it's like we're breaking the rules mm-hmm. by not having nudity. Um, you know, it is a surefire sign that a character will die in a lot of other movies. Um, and I, I look at the Fridays, the nightmares, um, the Halloweens. It's it's like, okay, that person's probably going to die. You, you can show your boobs or your penis on screen and still live, but the likelihood of that is pretty slim. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that nudity maybe evokes like the emotion. Well, it does evoke the emotion of sex. It could, you could argue that it's linked to violence in, in so many different types of films because like in a violent movie, you're on edge and you know, uh, that most anything goes. And then that kind of goes hand in hand with the extreme, extreme nature that is sex. It's like violent sex and rock and roll or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't write those rules, but, um, it is, it is the audience expectation when you see a horror film is to see some, to see some boobs, some butt or some, some wiener. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's how you define the genre, right? Like that's the audience expectation. That's what a genre is. Right. And, and so I, I think it just, at this point it's, it's in the annals of like horror history and it's a trope and, and you kind of just have to do it. Um, we obviously there's anomalies like scream, but. Yeah, it's Tarantino's a little a little too too aggressive with the Reese's comment, but <laughs> but I do I do think there's something fun about it too. And honestly, like nudity, we treat as Americans, we treat nudity in in such a weird way. Our censor, censorship is so weird. I mean, yeah. there's nothing wrong with with breasts, right? They are meant to feed humans, mm-hmm. and we have sexualized them for sure. But why can why does a, a a woman have to put on a shirt when a guy can just walk with no shirt. I mean, some of us have big old man boobs and like, how is that not offensive? You know, like it's just, it's, it's such a double standard and I don't like it. It's, mm-hmm. and that's not me being a pervert or being selfish. I just think that it's, it's dumb that, that we have to be censored to things. Or like if you go somewhere and you'll hear a Karen complaining about a mom breastfeeding their baby or something, yeah, I'm like, stopped- I was just about to say that, like, I mean, like women can't even breastfeed in public without uh, running the risk of being accosted. Like, like, and imagine the nerve of people saying, like, you should do that in the restroom. Like, who wants to feed their fucking baby in in a bathroom stall? Like, I mean, most bathrooms, like, at best are like, uh, 
gross. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like, like I think Target and Starbucks are probably the cleanest bathrooms you're going to get. But like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Starbucks is all over the place, but I, you know, um, anyways, that's, that's another tangent. Um, <laughs> I was going to add, like you were kind of touching on this a second ago. Um, I think it's kind of part of the like, uh, like nudity and sex scenes um, and the people that have sex getting killed pretty quickly thereafter mm-hmm. is like a, a comment on like counterculture and yeah. teens and young adults and how they're viewed. I think it's like a long running, long standing comment uh, from the youth about how they feel like they're viewed from older generations, uh, you know, and, and like all the the warning signs that adults, you know, just harp on young people about, like, you know, if you have sex, you're gonna get STDs and die. Um, it, you know, if you have sex before marriage or unprotected sex or sex too young, if you, you know, do drugs, you're going to, you know, become a fucking low life who has no job and you're going to be begging for change on the street. Like, and these types of things are like analyzed in horror film. And like, it's easy to like brush it off as like, Oh, they're having sex or they deserve to get killed. Like they're not paying attention, but like they don't know. And they're, they're in a horror movie. So to me it kind of feels like something different and like after watching a ridiculous amount of horror movies like i just it kind of dawned on me where i was like what if this is like this weird subtle comment about like you know how youth and counterculture is viewed by older generations yeah (laughs) and our comment on it like you know we're we're leaning into this idea that you know if you know if you want to have sex it's not an okay thing like we think it's okay but other people other more uh um reserved people yeah reserved and traditional um, people mm-hmm, yeah uh like all the uh all the stuffy shirts from footloose yeah uh, you can't dance here it's illegal right. to dance yeah you you can't dance in this town take your dancing legs and get yeah go, go on get go on unless, get unless you're kevin bacon <laughs> Right. Uh, my favorite recreation ever is Hot Rod when Andy Samberg does the the, the Footloose dance. The punch dance. Never, never, the... never, 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 never. So good. Yeah. After I galloped into a wooded glen, I punch danced out my rage. I suffered a long and extremely dangerous fall. Uh, anyways, um, so enough about the uh, the boobs. Um wanted to talk about some homages in other horror films um similar to my bloody valentine i know this this question is kind of getting off topic from uh the the topic of love and romance but i promise we're gonna get back on that train in just a second um so several uh or there's several kill scenes where uh the the killer um the minor um, tilts his head akin to Michael Myers. And then the first two on-screen kills in the 09 remake happen to be Michael and Jason. Um, those are the characters' names. Uh, and personally, I think homages uh, can be a fun way to uh, for movies to like, you know, 
obviously pay respect to some of the classics out there uh and the ones that came before and it's like you know we wouldn't have we wouldn't be able to make this movie if you didn't make yours um but i also think that they can be overdone and a little heavy-handed uh and i wanted to see if you felt uh either of those two things or or both if you uh you know of any examples of where they could come off heavy-handed or you're like yeah that was a nice nod to the original film or this other film in the genre so i i had a hard time thinking of these because i know that in the heat of of watching a film i'll be like oh yeah that's a nod to this as you know the the head turning is obviously michael myers um or anything by the face is a freddy krueger thing so it was hard to really think. So I had to go to the internet to kind of find some, because I know that there were some rumbling in my brain, but specifically um, uh, X, the movie X, which I thought mm-hmm. was awesome. Yes. It, it definitely had a lot of references to psycho in it, which psycho is a phenomenal film. And the more mm-hmm. I, I think about it and, and have seen stuff on psycho, I absolutely love it, but I like how it changes tone and story halfway through X so where you think it's about this this porn thing. And then all of a sudden it switched to this really weird backstory with Pearl and the old man. And you're like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very akin to psycho. I think that in that, in that movie itself, you know, there's also like the killer old lady, the car in the swamp, the peephole, the, the old lady mm-hmm. looking through the window, lots of little homages to, yeah. to psycho in itself. Um, just the general road trip crew is a nod to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. which they also did in X, but you have other films too. Um, I mean, even like from dusk till dawn where they're riding through a big open area and it seems all hunky dory and then, you know, something's going to happen, but just that whole road trip crew, uh, nod is, is, is very good. Um, any head spinning, you're going to get head spinning in things. And I think that. I can't stand the exorcist. I think it's a stupid movie, but obviously it's an iconic <laughs> moment, right? When, mm-hmm. when Pazuzu's head spins around and you're like, Oh my God, it's <laughs> weird. You know what she did? Your cunting daughter. Yeah. It's just gross. Your mother's in here. <laughs> um, your mother sucks cocks in hell. Oh boy. I'd be like, watch your potty mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, any zombie movie actually really pulls from Night of the Living Dead. I mean, no matter how you shake it, they're always going to give nods to Night of the Living Dead because that's that's the blueprint for how you make a zombie film. Mm-hmm. And it's still really creepy to this day. Like they just oh, yeah. do such a good job in that movie. Like mm-hmm. Romero was king. Um, any any movie that pulls from my two two of my favorite horror films, The Thing and The Shining. So anytime you have somebody peeping through like a hole that's in the door, uh, any stare offs into the blank space. There you go. That's a that's a way overdone homage. Mm-hmm. Is the uh, the the tracking of the the axe when he's swinging? Yep. yep. Like that. That was just like a. That wasn't even like a, a uh, like a, a conscious like oh we're gonna make like this really breakthrough artsy uh, uh, type of um, like composition where we're following Jack like like he just kind of did it because reasons and then like it became this iconic moment in horror history and then like a billion movies Mm -hmm. have replicated it and it's one of those things where it's like it was cool like the first couple of times and then you're just like all right like we're fucking done with with this homage and Mm -hmm. and nod so and the the paranoia that that comes from the uh you know the 
isolation in the thing where mm. you don't know who's who and you don't know what's what. Um, I absolutely love it. Uh, the best example I can think of is actually a Tarantino movie, and that's The Hateful Eight, where you're just like, oh, yeah. who is the guilty one here? Um, I mean, that's the thing. I absolutely love it. And then finally, I think we talked about this on the Don't Be Crazy <laughs> podcast for signs. Um, jump scares when they're done right. Mm-hmm. And one of them, you know, that I really absolutely love. I mean, there's a whole bunch, but one of them that I absolutely love is from Jaws when he's throwing the chum and it's the first time we ever get to see the shark <laughs> yeah. because it really just pops up and you're like, holy shit, you were not <laughs> expecting it. Um, I mean, I remember seeing that as a kid and I just still was like, oh God, what the <laughs> hell was that? Yeah. It's the first time you ever get to see the shark and it's huge. Yeah, that uh, the opening sequence of Jaws fucking terrified me because like like my parents rented it from Blockbuster back when that was a thing. And and I was young, I'd say maybe 10 or 11 and hadn't seen a ton of horror movies. And it's crazy to think that Jaws is like PG um, (laughs) because there was like nothing higher than that at the time. Right. Like. Like, I don't think PG-13 was a thing yet. Mm, I don't um, think so, yeah. But uh, anyways, like, I remember, like, I don't know if I was kind of, like, walking through the living room as they started watching the movie or what, or, but I, like, I, for whatever, uh, whatever the circumstance was, I saw that scene and I was like, uh, no thanks. <laughs> and, yeah. like, there's no blood or anything. It's just you just see that girl getting dragged around in uh, in the water and all of a sudden she is gone and the dude is passed out on the beach because they're both drinking. Yeah, it is. It was classically terrifying opening mm-hmm. to a horror movie. Um, I agree. And you were definitely spot on about X. Um, that's one of my favorite uh, recent horror movies. Um, have you have you seen Pearl yet? Yeah, I, I didn't like Pearl as much as X. Um, Definitely me, yeah, a different Minkoff movie. Is great, but I just I I wasn't a huge fan of it. Yeah, if if you go into Pearl expecting something akin to X, uh, it's directed by the same director, uh, and it stars Mia Goth, but it's just it's so totally different, and I love it, but for different reasons. I still I think X is a slightly stronger movie, but uh <clears throat> i recently rewatched pearl and i actually ended up crying like during her scene at the the table in the kitchen when she the whole big confessional to her friend her not friend um her uh i guess sister her in sister-in-law law. Yeah. um you know before she starts getting into like all the craziness uh you know uh, like confessing like the killings that she's done like when she's talking about she's like i know something's wrong with me and like this hasn't been brought up in any forum uh, or any message board or website or Facebook, MySpace, <laughs> Twitter. MySpace. <laughs> I, I haven't seen anyone discussing the idea that Pearl is on the autism spectrum, but mm. both of my kids are on the spectrum. I myself am on the high functioning end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people. I know a lot, a lot about uh what differentiates someone from just having ADHD or OCD and having like full on ASD. And I believe that Pearl has ASD Hmm. and whether they wrote that into her character and just didn't discuss it because autism was not a thing in the twenties. Yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> so maybe they, they wrote it that way and, and that's why they didn't bring it up. But I, uh, that is my personal, like, uh, like flag in the grounds, like, you know, stating like, I, I think she's on the spectrum and that's why she acted the way that she did, um, mm. is, or it was part of the, uh, the motivations and, and her frustration. Cause like, like being angry like that and just getting like being overcome by rage, mm-hmm. like blind red rage like that is, is a very common thing with people with ASD. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, just a, uh, an observation totally unrelated. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but anyways, so, so that takes care of that. So, basically our our last question um like i said we did do a facebook group poll this week uh, looking for alternative uh romance stories and film uh got a people came to the table with this fucking <laughs> question did did you get a chance to read all the the responses zach because i, I did you... not I, I browsed over some of them but um yeah i i did not but there were some good ones from the ones that i saw and i was like oh yeah i forgot about that movie Right. Yeah. Um, now everyone, like there's a lot that I hadn't seen yet and a couple movies that I hadn't even heard of, um, uh, but immediately added to my list. Cause I was like, Ooh, more movies. Um, but you had a very interesting one and I am going to let you, uh, explain that a little bit. Um, if, if you'd like, uh, cause I thought it was a, a very good point, uh, about Top Gun that I hadn't really uh, or I kind of had considered, but you put it in words that I could not. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that Top Gun is a romance film, underrated, uh, mm. under, understated romance film, I should say, or underlying romance film. And yeah. I mean, I think it's about the exploration of of sexual identity, um, homoeroticism uh, through the roof. Uh, look at the volleyball scene for what it is. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just it's soft porn, man there's no reason for them to be that sweaty and shirts off and the slow-mo and it is what it is. But I think, I think the thing about it with that scene in particular, you know, there's always the joke. It's not gay. If you say good game and you slap somebody on the ass because (laughs) in organized sports, guys really like to touch each other's butts and do a lot of things that one could consider, you know, for lack of a better term, gay, but In a movie made in the 80s that's like this, that's willing to to take risks like this. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that they were they were pretty on the nose and they knew exactly what they were doing. But yeah. people watching this who talk about Top Gun as being one of their favorite m- movies. For me, I think the original Top Gun is actually not very good. I, I didn't w- grow up in a time when it was when it was around right like i wasn't even born in 86 it, it was the next year i'd be born yeah. but it wasn't a movie for me per se and so i think that living it during that time and seeing it sure it's real macho bro blah 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 but there's so much more to it too and i think maverick himself is just hiding from who he is and striving to be the best always striving to be something that he's not because he's great but is he the best i mean obviously he has to cut corners to do things and it's it's just all about that camaraderie, that that brotherhood. Uh, but yeah, there there's a ton behind it. Um, there are scenes in it that just kind of don't make any sense. 
but it, mm-hmm. it feels as if he's kind of closeted. Uh, his relationship with Kelly McGinnis or McGillis, obviously it doesn't work out in Maverick, but that also kind of seemed like he was trying to hide it a bit. Sure. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just about the love you have for your friends and finding your identity and that strive for perfection. Uh, but in reality, you got to just embrace what you are. Mm-hmm. And Maverick's fantastic. But, you know, there are other fantastic people out there, too. So, yeah. No, I yeah, I uh, like I said, when when you talked about that, Alice and then like um, Tiffany, another uh, friend of the podcast and friend IRL, um, she she came uh, to the the comments for for your um movie suggestion as well and she was like yeah i also just watched this movie for the first time and um hold on i want to read her comment she said it uh, it was the gayest movie ever (laughs) and i was like absolutely yeah um yeah she let's see I literally watched Top Gun for the first time last year and I was like, wow, this is hands down one of the gayest movies I've ever seen. Amazing film. I'm glad I finally watched it. And I was like, that that was like my reaction too. Like, mm-hmm. but the the whole like potentially gay subtext of it all like didn't dawn on me until like later on. Like immediately afterwards, I was like, okay, that was good. I can see why in the eighties and nineties, like people looked at this as like a fucking great movie, an instant classic. Um, but it felt like a soap opera for men. And, but like, I think that just kind of is like, that makes it a part of its time. Like just, you know, where like you see it, like in the eighties when all the, the surrounding context like makes sense. Yeah. And uh, so like you have to have to like put yourself in the, put your mind in the time frame of the eighties when movies like this were being made um, and people felt certain ways about their sexuality and the sexuality of others and how public or private they chose to be about it. So yeah, I, any, any comments about this film, like having, you know, homoerotic subtext, like I'm like, yeah, that, that tracks for me. Um, Yeah. And my comment, um, it was, you know, I just said on the surface, it's a movie about the obsession of being the best. The true meaning of the film is how we struggle with our sexual or sexuality and ultimately need to embrace the love slash bromances in our lives that truly complement us. And I I think that's incredibly accurate. I mean, he was so torn up about goose, not just being his best friend, but I mean, you know, he, he loved him. There was, there was more to that and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You can, you can love and have bromances and it's okay. I just think that, there was more to Top Gun than just that. I think he was kidding himself for who he was, especially with like how promiscuous he was and just kind of how all over the place and he couldn't make up his mind. I mean, I think I think Maverick was struggling with his own sexuality. And so I think that Top Gun is an LGBTQ film about identity. That's my that's my my hot take for it. Yeah, it's a it, that is a, a spicy and delicious hot take. I, <laughs> I, I really uh, I really dig it. Crunchwrap um, Supreme <laughs> and a chicken Supreme. A cup of Supreme. Supreme. <laughs> supreme. <laughs> supreme. <laughs> supreme. Yeah. Got to come one, two, three. Um, God, I was going to make another comment. <laughs> totally lost my train of thought. Anyways, 
Um, so, so yeah, we, we talked about Top Gun for like 15 minutes. Um, what, uh, are, are there any other films that you were able to think of that, uh, celebrates the glory of love that might not be your traditional, like, uh, like rom-com or, uh, straight up romance that like would come to mind for, you know, your average show? Yeah. Do you want me to do the glory of love and then also the unconventional love romance films? Yeah. Just all of it. Yeah. So, okay, these are the movies that I I love uh, because of what they represent and how they are. Um, and they're just, they're great movies. But The Princess Bride, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the Mood for Love, Harold and Maude, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Brokeback Mountain, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Moonlight, The Shape of Water, Her, Punch Drunk Love, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and Shrek. Mm-hmm. Love that Shrek. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I think those are, are fantastic movies if you really want to explore. I mean, I could talk to pieces about each one of them, but yeah, they're all they're all uh, really, really well done. Um, and they kind of transport you to a time when, you know, you can just be so deeply in love. And I think that that at the core of everything, I mean, that's why I love The Last of Us so far is because that game and that oh show God. is 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 about love and and understanding that when you fall in love or when you you express your love you you are guaranteed to have pain at some point and so um it's it's a very powerful thing and it makes us do crazy stuff but at this at the end mm-hmm. of the day you know it's 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 amazing i think yeah. butters actually from south park said it the best where he's like well yeah i'm paraphrasing he's like well yeah i'm really sad now but i'm also really happy because to feel this sad means that at one point I felt an immense uh, amount of, of happiness too. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so wonderful because it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to be sad because you, you had those moments when you were so extremely happy. And so, yeah, Yeah. but anyways, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about that line coming from uh, the writers of South Park Park, who, who have written the most obscenely disgusting jokes of all time. Uh, but I, I think that's a true testament to comedy writers is mm-hmm. that they, um, I, I, just, I think comedy writers are some of the most talented people in the world because they like, you know, you just chalk it up to comedy. Uh, but if you dig deeper, there's like, there's so much under the surface of comedy. Like comedy is like, it's, it's a hard genre. Like if you talk to, or if you hear actors in interviews, like talking about like, what's the hardest movie you've ever done? Like a lot of them will, will always refer to comedies they've done uh, when they're like used to dramas. Cause like with comedy, you have to like laugh every take. Funny. Like, it's hard to be funny. Right. Exactly. And, and to be funny, on cue like on purpose um when you're like you're like you've already told this joke a million times like (laughs) how do you keep on pretending to be funny um but yeah that's those are all great picks um i wish that i had the chance to make a longer list mine is kind of abbreviated uh there's a lot more but i'll just for the sake of um adding more to it i'll just straight up echo all the movies that you you pointed out I, i think i've seen all the ones that you listed. Uh, and so those were all great picks. Um, I don't know if I have, uh, any overlap on, uh, on my list. I only have six. So I put St. Maud, which I just 
rewatched the other day. It's um, if mm-hmm. you haven't seen it, it's a a twenty four film um, about uh, it's like a an ex nurse who decides to become like a home uh, caregiver for this uh, this uh, woman who has like stage four cancer and um, she used to be a dancer and they kind of sort of start like a relationship. It's just a very interesting take on love and um, regressed feelings um, Mm -hmm. or repressed feelings. Sorry. Like when like the whole confliction is like, you know, she's trying to be a better person because something real like she was a very promiscuous person in her past. um, And now she's like making up for it with like, trying to trying to overcompensate with her dedication and devotion to to god mm-hmm. and um and so it's she has all these conflicted feelings it's, it's excellent um so if you're looking for a a horror movie that also delves into romance and um all that good stuff that's that's a good one um 500 days of summer i thought was excellent Mm-hmm. Um, X, you know, we just talked about X a little bit. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Um, that's always a fun movie. Like my wife and I, uh, before we were married, like we would watch that movie all the time because like we were broke and didn't have money for cable or internet or anything. So we would just rewatch old DVDs and that was one of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, we just we were like, that's so fun. Like, you know, this married couple that doesn't know that. <laughs> they're both like assassins yeah um and then uh audition uh which is a i think it's i can't remember if it's south korean or japanese Mm -hmm. Um, i think it's i think it's south korean um but it is excellent because like for the first i'd say half of the movie it's like it's just a Mm rom-com and then it gets fucking dark um, and I can't tell you anything more about that cause it'll spoil it. Uh, I think it's on one of like the free streaming services right now, like, like Roku or Roomba or Pulu or Hoopla or <laughs> some All shit. <of> like them. <laughs> yeah. One of those, those cheap up and coming ones where like, you know, you get a free trial or whatever, or it's absolutely free. It's, it's on there. <clears throat> and then nocturnal animals was the last one I had. Um, basically Jake Gyllenhaal uh, writing a book talking about um, how he felt about his marriage. And his book is basically about uh, his wife and daughter getting murdered. And that's how he felt, how he felt about uh, his uh, surviving his divorce. It's a very interesting and depressing take on love. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, but it is about love and romance. So, um, (laughs) Like, I think the only movie directed by Tom Ford, maybe. I don't know. It's a weird one-off. Hmm. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, anyways. So, uh, was there uh, any other movies you wanted to dive into before we get into our Shit That Doesn't Suck segment? No, I think I'm good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's cue that music. That... Shit <laughs> <laughs> Shit that doesn't suck. 
so I stumbled upon this. Well, I didn't stumble upon this, but I love Ryan Johnson as a writer, director, producer. I think he's fantastic. I even The Last Jedi has actually grown on me more over the years because he had the balls to actually do something different in the Star mm-hmm. Wars universe. Yeah. And especially with the Rise of Skywalker being the biggest piece of shit in the entire Star Wars franchise, I refuse to ever watch that movie again because it makes me so angry. But I don't want to get into that too much. Um, Ryan Johnson's great. I loved Glass Onion. I thought it was a very, very fun follow up to Knives Out. So mm-hmm. he has a new show on Peacock. It's called Poker Face and it stars Natasha Leone, who is amazing in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's beautiful, too. So <laughs> yeah, she's the uh, the girl from the Russian doll or whatever. Yep. Yep, she is fantastic in Russian Doll, and she's equally fantastic in this movie. Yeah, or in this show. I need to uh, check it out. And there are a lot of other big name actors in it too. Benjamin Bratt, uh, Simon Helberg. You might know from a couple things. Uh, yeah. He had a pretty small role in it, but you'd probably recognize him. Um, Adrian Brody, uh, Joseph, Gord- Joseph Gordon Levitt is in it. Ron Perlman is in it. Uh, Chloe Savign- Savigny. I can never say her name. Chloe Savigny. Um, how? Yeah. Anyways. Great show. I am loving the hell out of it. I'm not going to tell you anything about it because you just kind of have to go into it blindly. My friend said it's very much like a Matlock. It feels like Mm. Matlock. And I'm like, I didn't watch Matlock, but I'm all for it. it. (laughs) And it's filmed really well. But yeah, it's on Peacock. Right on. Yeah, I uh, I I dive into Peacock like every three months, like once every three months, I'll go there to like rewatch the office or like whenever the new super fan episodes uh of the office hit i call but like i never cancel it like i'll just continuously pay for it and i'm I'm like every once in a while i'll be reminded like hey they have other shit on there too besides the office mm-hmm. so i uh that that's a definitely an excuse to go venture into it more uh because i i did see ads for it for that show and um I am also a fan of Ryan Johnson. I liked uh, The Last Jedi uh, quite a bit. Um, it wasn't my favorite of the three, but um, it had its moments. Um, and yeah. yeah, so I'll I'll definitely have to check it out. Cool. So cool. Uh, so for me, I I've been kind of getting back into my jack of all trades thing since I'm no longer uh, drowning in um, Etsy orders. Uh, which has been kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I so I've been you know just watching movies for the most part. Um, no video games just yet, but uh, the, probably the biggest thing is um, is reading. So I have been I've been reading. I read a lot of Stephen King last year. It was my first time getting into King, and then I decided to go back and start all his works uh and read them in chronological order in which they were released so i a couple weeks ago i read carrie and then um just today actually i finished uh, salem's lot and and then i started uh rage i believe it's called um it's one of four short stories that he released as uh they were the first uh first content he released under richard bachman Mm-hmm. Um, cause, uh, I, I think the situation was that he released under a pseudonym, so he wouldn't run the risk of getting shoehorned into being only a horror writer. So this kind of <laughs> gave him an opportunity to write stuff that wasn't just horror. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, uh, Salem's Lot, it was okay. Vampires are not my thing. So I had kind of a hard time following it, but I, I still uh, I still wanted to read it. So, mm-hmm. um, And then comic books has been another big one. Um, cool. I, I finally finished the run that you recommended to me of Batman, yeah. the, the Court of Owls and the City of Owls uh, was good. I, I'm not sure if they eventually make a comeback or not, uh, but... I I'm kind of backtracking with that a little bit. The mm-hmm. the order of the new 52, like the reading order is to say it's confusing is a fucking understatement. It's dude. very confusing. It's, do, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a clusterfuck. Um, maybe mm-hmm. it's confusing just because like, it all depends on where you want to start. Like, and if you just want to read Batman or if you want to read Batman with other character tie-ins, or if you want to read the whole new 52 storyline, like I, I, that probably adds to the confusion, but just Batman alone, like, it starts out with zero year, which is like issue like 20 or 21 through 20 or like 35, I think. Yeah. And then the court of owls, which was written and released before zero year. Um, that was released in like 2011. Zero year was like 2013, I think. But Court of Owls is like issue one. But that takes place after zero year, like in the Batman storyline. Because zero year is basically like like year zero, you know, like the beginning of Batman. Um, So it's a fucking mess. But uh, (laughs) I, I think I finally got it straightened out and I'm reading it in the order in which Batman like Bruce Wayne becomes Batman and then like I am reading like I got the I signed up for the DC Infinite thing where mm-hmm. you can um you get you know the DC comics so I can like I I love to purchase the physical copies of stuff uh especially comic books and DVDs um and but I I don't want to worry about buying like a random like Batwing or Nightwing or uh Catwoman issue um you know, if it's just like one issue that I want to read that has a quick tie-in for Batman. Mm-hmm. So that app has definitely come in handy for reading random like Superman issues that where he's like, oh, like Batman's in trouble. Um, so uh, that's been a lot of fun. Just getting back into comic book reading has been like, oh, like a breath of fresh air. So, no, for sure. Yeah. And I appreciate you recommending that that run to me, the Court of Owls, because that was amazing. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad you so, liked it. For sure. But uh, anyways, um, I think that'll do it for this episode. Zach, do you want to drop your uh, drop your stuff, uh, your your social medias and your uh, plug your podcast and all that? Sure. Yeah. So I have two podcasts. Uh, One is called the top five podcast. You can find it on all of your favorite podcast apps. It's you just the easiest way to find it is type in podcasts with an S at the end top five and it'll pop up there. Uh, basically it is my friend Tom and Eric and I, Tom, Eric and I, and we discuss any random top five list you can think of. And we just did our top five subscriptions. So that was really fun. Uh, you know, there are tons of them out there, but it was just a, it was a cool category to talk about. And then my other podcast that David has been on several times is the don't be crazy podcast. It is a movie podcast where we break down and discuss Uh, What makes specific films good or bad? I just rewrote the intro using chat GPT and it's awesome. 
So, <laughs> so I, I've, I've heard a lot of buzz about that and I have no fucking clue what it is. Just go to chat GPT and you as a developer will realize and, and look at it and be like, oh, okay, pretty cool. Uh, it's, it's AI. That's all it is. It's okay. AI, but it's going to replace search engines. Like it's already getting to that point. Bing has started mm-hmm. integrating stuff. Google has made their own thing. Bard, I think is what it's called, but Microsoft owns chat GPT, I believe. And um, I, I think it's fantastic. You could literally type in, uh, you know, write me an essay on why love films are better in the 2000s than they were in the 90s. And it'll give you a pretty eloquent, uh, eloquently written paragraph or essay or however long, because you can you have to keep hitting enter if you want it to keep going. But right. I, I typed in, write me a podcast, write me an introduction for my podcast called the Don't Be Crazy Movie Podcast, where we discuss and analyze what makes films good or bad. And it wrote me a very good intro. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> so yeah it's it's pretty cool yeah i'll i'll have to check it out at, at least for shits and giggles because um i don't know I, i'm torn on the whole ai revel revolution um you know we just did an episode of the podcast on ai generated art mm-hmm. uh, which is of course a very hot button topic right now um for for good reason it's you know kind of a kind of controversial uh, yeah the, the whole idea of letting ai um, go out and scrape websites to put stuff together for you because it's kind of like copyright infringement. But mm-hmm. um, I think I think that's where NFTs could actually come in handy, um, especially for AI generated art. Is if you have like a certificate saying like you own this, then it could be easier to prove that something belongs to you and that an AI program ripped you off. So I agree. But anyways, that's for another episode yeah um anyway zach thank you so much uh for for coming on the podcast again it's always a blast whenever you come so of course that's what she said (laughs) i haven't really uh um poked at the office too much this monster yeah um i'm basically the worst um (laughs) thank exactly (laughs) sometimes we need need words that we need need but we don't need them for talk talk mm-hmm. exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> the most cohesive statement ever made thank yeah. you andy um anyways uh thank you listeners if you made it this far thanks so much for tuning in um don't forget to subscribe to the podcast you have if you haven't already leave us a rating and review um subscribe to our patreon if you are interested in throwing us a couple of your hard-earned dollars uh you get some cool perks we actually just revised all of our uh, our tiers and our perks for the respective tiers um so you get all kinds of cool stuff now and we're running a special for the month of february because it is our birthday month and uh, if you subscribe to any of the tiers you get a free tumbler made Ooh. by yours truly so even the two dollar tier will get you get you a free tumbler. So um, do that, and uh, I will reach out to you and see what the fuck you want. So <laughs> in a in a much less aggressive way, uh, granted. So, um, but yes, Zach. Once again, thank you. Um, thank you, listeners. And as always, be kind, sticky heat, and eat lots of cheesecake. Bye bye.